The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Personology is a production of iHeartRadio. Joseph McCarthy was a Republican U.S. Senator from the state of Wisconsin from 1947 until his death in 1957. He was the public face of the 1950s fears and resulting political activism during the United States versus Soviet Union Cold War tensions regarding communist subversion in the United States. He alleged that numerous communists, Soviet spies and sympathizers, had infiltrated the United States federal government, as well as academic universities, Hollywood, and other places, a practice that came to be coined McCarthyism. Part of his practice was to use smear tactics to attack the character or patriotism of his subject, and ultimately, the Senate censured him for this. I'm Dr. Gail Saltz, and this is Personology. My guest today is journalist and author Larry Ty, who is a New York Times bestselling author and author of the newly released Demagogue, The Life and Long Shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy, as well as the book Bobby Kennedy, The Making of a Liberal Icon. Ty runs the Boston-based Health Coverage Fellowship, which helps the media do a better job reporting on critical issues like public health, mental health, and high-tech medicine. He was an award-winning writer for the Boston Globe. Joe McCarthy was born in 1908 on a farm in Grand Chute in Wisconsin, and that he was the fifth of seven children. In terms of his home life in Wisconsin, there was nothing 
extraordinary or remarkable, let's say, about his circumstances. It was a pretty typical farm life in Wisconsin with parents who were Irish descendants, Irish Americans. Um, but maybe you could talk a little bit about that that family life and that early time and and how it was it was formative for him. From a very early age, Joe McCarthy was both very competitive and very entrepreneurial. He was competitive in that he was, as soon as he got his first pair of boxing gloves, looking for anybody to duke it out with in the family or in the neighborhood. And he was entrepreneurial in that at a very young age, um, having graduated from grammar school, he went out and became a chicken tycoon. And what that meant was he had thousands of laying hens and he built this little empire and it worked brilliantly until he got sick and trusted his empire to some people to look it over for a while and um, a virus spread among the birds and they died and he went from being a tycoon to being penniless which is the natural state of affairs in um, small farms like his with big families in Wisconsin. And that meant he had to reinvent himself. And he reinvented himself by being a maven at a store called Cashway, one of a series of stores that were like a 7-Eleven. And again, he stood out. His store quickly became the best-selling in that little Cashway empire. Joe McCarthy showed that he didn't have to have an education, that he could make a go of it. And then at a point when he was about 20 years old, he finally decided that he wanted to do more, that maybe getting an education wasn't a bad idea. So I think a lot of people who look at the caricatured view of Joe McCarthy think this wasn't a very smart guy. He was a big, brawny, sort of bully-like guy. And in fact, he was smart enough that when he finally decided to go to high school, he made it through four years in a single year, which was extraordinary and which led him to college and to the first lie of his life. To go back for a second, a couple of really interesting things about, so what, what could we see in this kid that might have uh, helped us understand how he would come to be the kind of adult that he did. And a couple of interesting points. One is the temperament that you point out, that he was, as a kid, by all evidence, extremely competitive and had certain kinds of ambition. The ambition might have changed focus, you know, whether it was I got to get done with high school in one year or I'm going to make money as this chicken tycoon. Um, but they were they were extraordinary feats in their own way. And he was very driven in the pursuit of them and that the competitiveness sometimes manifested itself in, as you brought up, this very aggressive form. So he he was very into boxing and he thought nothing of, you know, really laying it all out there with child opponents, essentially. But he would also teach. He would also teach other people to box. So he was complicated. People, when they think of Joe McCarthy, right, they like to be very black and white. They like to say, you know, he was all a bad guy or no, he wasn't a bad guy or he was all paranoid or no, he wasn't. But you see even early on that he was a very he was multidimensional. He could he could say I'm going to teach you how to box or he could pummel you and and knock you out um and be highly highly aggressive. 
And I think it's just important that we sort of, as we think about him, that keep that duality, you know, these the different sides of, of him in mind. I think it's important that we consider the family aspirations. The father, Tim, came, bought all this land, uh, made a farm of it. He'd already risen himself up from where he was. They wanted their kids to be something and do something, a completely different kind of family where aspirations were, would you be able to sort of make money and take care of yourself, let's say. Um, and, and so he really was the only child who showed the academic aptitude and the kind of drive to go on and complete education in a rapid way and, and aspire even to college. Um, that was not something typical for the family. Everything you said is true, and I want to take three threads that I think define Joe's early life. Um, first of all, you said in ending that the um, this was not something that his parents saw as an aspiration for their kids, and that's absolutely true. And in fact, Joe said in later life that it would have scared the heck out of his mother if she had ever seen him rise to the Senate. I mean, he was going, not to mention becoming the national and international figure that he became. But the three threads in his early life that stayed with him throughout were, number one, ambition, sort of highly competitive and ambitious. And that would have meant something um, in and of itself, but it was combined with real talent. So he had ambition and he had the ability to see the ambition through. And those might have made him into a great figure of uh, stature in the country that we'd be looking at in a revered way today if it wasn't for the third element that was a part of his personality from very early on, and that was opportunism. And that was the willingness to do whatever it took to see that ambition through. It's a sort of scary triumvirate if you add natural talent, the ambition that drives you to do something that's going to put you in the limelight, and the willingness to do anything, including embellish or outright lie to get you where you wanted to go, those three were an amazing combination for a politician to have and what made him successful, but also took him beyond to the point where you and I, 70 years later, are talking about him because he made a name for himself and he became an ism, which is an unusual thing to become. It's such a good point about opportunism, which touches on the question of what is your moral compass? Moral compasses are formed initially in childhood and continue to develop, you know, I'd say in early adulthood. And then they're they're pretty formed by then. So your family of origin has a, a big impact on your moral compass. And in fact, he had what at the time would be called, you know, God-fearing uh, Christian Irish Catholic parents, they were not a super religious family, but they were a religious family. And Catholicism was important. But as his parents saw him, not necessarily, let's say, following the rules all the time in terms of his early business, and sometimes breaking the rules for his betterment. Today, no one would be allowed to complete high school in one year. That would just not be allowed, even if you academically could do it. Skirting the rules for his betterment was something that seemed to be acceptable and approved of by the family and not really questioned. 
judging from things that his siblings said about him over the years and judging from things that his father did to enable what he did over the years, I think his family were partly in awe of him. He was by far the most charismatic. He, from an early age, made clear that he was the one who was going to put the McCarthy name somewhere. I don't think they ever saw it being quite where it ended up. But I also think that there was, um, in a way that any family of that size and of that sort of um, middle America solidity, there was a sense that they were going to support him no matter what he did. And they were going to, over the years, justify what he did, no matter what he did. And I think they were a bit in awe of, and I don't think they quite knew what to do with him, just like most people who came in contact with him over the years. One of the things that was another thread that ran through his entire life, starting with his college career and even in high school and going all the way through the end of his life, was um, that people perpetually underestimated him. He looked more like a pugilist than like a politician. And he looked like somebody who didn't have the looks or the charisma to rise to become the second most popular person in America. And so that was part of what he used to get ahead, I think, was having people perpetually underestimate just how smart he was and just how ruthless he was. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. He did go to college. Actually, college was sort of a blend with he he started off in I think engineering yes. uh, that performed very poorly. I, I think it's worth noting that even though his high school principal said, you know, this kid is unbelievable and, you know, wrote letters that, you know, th- th- this kid has done something that's never been done and intellectually it's incredible. Then when he got to college, he was a pretty mediocre to not very good student. And certainly engineering was not for him. He made this pivot to law, which he thought would be easier and he would be able to do better in and perhaps it interested him more, and he was a very average student. He was an average student, but I think that was partly because he didn't have the capacity or the interest in working hard. He would do something amazing. So as any of your um, listeners know who know anything about law school education, there are generally big classes, and you generally have, you break down into small study groups, and it's that group that you bond with, that group that you learn through. And Joe was brilliant at doing no work during the semester, at showing up at study group, and being able to absorb everything his classmates were saying. And I think that suggested the same capacity he had in high school. He was a sponge. He could absorb an extraordinary amount of material, and especially in a program like law, where it was absorbing and sort of giving back. And it was a good law school, but not a great law school. So he did fine. And he did fine at most courses. Um, He did fairly mediocre in most of the courses on ethics and morality in college. But he did well enough to get by. He was somebody who his law school classmates years later remembered not for his intellectual rigor, and but it was for his ability to soak it all in in the end and do what it took to get by. And I think that that is, in a way, again, knowing what we know about his later career, when we go back and look at the earlier career, we can say that that was classic Joe McCarthy, bending the rules, doing four years in one year by absorbing what went on in study group and not what went on in the classroom, by taking three jobs when he was in college and being willing to do anything to earn the extra buck to give him a little financial freedom and be able to take out the women that he was taking out and show them um, a good time. But he also did something which was kind of extraordinary. If you read anything that he said or wrote during the years about what had happened when he was in college, you would think that his parents 
cut him loose and said, you make your own way. Well, we find out later when we look at some of his personal records that, in fact, his father was helping him in school and never getting credit for it because that didn't fit with the image of self-made Joe McCarthy, who goes out and puts himself through school with three jobs. And he was, even at a very young age, looking to a resume that he knew would someday be important to him when he was going to go on and do great things. And he was building that resume through some combination of accomplishment and embellishment. You can even argue because, of course, this was before he really even tried to turn to political life or was or there was evidence that he was planning on political life that just as important to him was maintaining enough denial and compartmentalization that he could hold on to his own personal ideal that he was a self-made man. That seemed to be important in the image that he was projecting even for himself, that his father didn't help him, who he did, that he didn't get loans from friends, which he did, that, you know, people weren't providing him the information that he could sponge up, uh, which is exactly what happened. And along with that, you see evidence of the beginnings of this, I'll call it hedonism, he really liked to take out women. Uh, a number of women reported it was fun, but not so enjoyable because at the end of the day, he was like an octopus. He didn't treat me so nicely. In college especially, he wanted to be the big guy on campus. He was willing to do, even at that early stage in college, whatever it took. And what that meant was when he ran for head of his um, law school class, when he wanted to be president of his law school class, he made a deal with this guy named Charles Curran, who was the guy who was running against him. And the deal was, in a way that a mensch would do, we'll each vote for one another. We're not going to vote for ourselves. And then we'll see what the rest of the class does. So they did that. There was a tie vote. And then in the second round, McCarthy won by two votes. And when they went back and sort of tried to understand what had happened, he won because he voted for himself. And when he was confronted by Charles Curran and said, how could you do that? McCarthy said, in all my campaigning, I realized I really was the guy, the better man, as I was telling people that I was, and you wouldn't want me to vote for somebody other than the better man. Now, what that really was, was the classic sort of spin on the fact that he just wanted to win and he would do what it took to win. And I'm surprised. The only surprise in the story to me is not what he did in the second round, but that he actually voted for Curran in the first round. He played by the rules once, and that was an unusual thing. I think the other um, sort of surprising thing, but again, a testament to the kind of man that he was, is that after that, he managed to maintain the friendship. He did. To, he managed to then bend over backwards and be giving in some other way to, uh, I think he, he said, uh, hey, here, take my car. Or I'm going to help drive you. Your father's sick. There was a story where he basically helped out the other guy to say, like, look, I, I did do this, but like, I really, I, I meant well and I still want to be your friend. His charisma and his ability to do that, even after, and this is really, I think, is important because when we later go on to look at what he does to people, he is able to maintain this splitting, is it would be the psychological term, that he is divided in two. He only sees the side he wants to see. I'm, I'm not that bad guy who basically cheated, right? I, I voted for myself after we made a deal that we wouldn't do that. I'm this good guy who will help you in a dire situation, and I'm really your friend. 
And he managed to perpetuate those things, not only in his head, but externally and and bring them to fruition. He did. And so the psychological term is splitting. The journalistic term that I'm comfortable with is contradictions. And he was most interesting people in the world have contradictions. Very few have as big a split or set of contradictions as Joe McCarthy. And so what he did perpetually throughout his early life and his career was he would savage somebody on the witness stand and then invite him out for a drink afterwards. He thought that it was all part of a game. And don't you get the game? And I'm still a good guy. And I think that that helps explain why the state of Wisconsin ended up sending him to the Senate twice and why he rose to be as popular as he was. He had this measure of charisma. Um, He was the guy, he was a guy that I would love to have gone out for a drink with. I wouldn't have wanted to get up in front of him in a witness stand. I wouldn't have wanted to have to cover him, but he was a guy who really was a regular guy except when he was bulldozing through you to get what he wanted. And that set of contradictions was extraordinary. People in later life would say he spent half of his life as a bulldog and the other half as a lapdog. And managing to do both for as long and as successfully as he did, on the one hand is brilliant, and on the other hand, I think, spelled his ultimate undoing. You can't have that kind of split or contradiction and last forever. So we've seen this, you know, historically again and again in certain figures. They're usually leaders who preach something in, a, in an incredibly strong and dogged manner. We could be talking about, um, you know, Mark Foley, uh, head of, 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 of child and, and protective services, you know, within the government, but, you know, who turned out to be having relations with young interns. We could be talking about Haggerty and being a reverend and preaching, you know, intensely strongly the importance of, you know, anti-homosexual, anti-drugs, anti-all these things and doing all of those things so that the urge, psychologically speaking, the urge to do, in, in Joe McCarthy's case, to be very aggressive, so aggressive that you will mow over and destroy anyone for your betterment. But the part of your mind that says, well, that's that's not okay. I mean, I, I, at some level, I know that's not okay. And I'm not that bad guy. I'm not the bad guy who wants to do that thing. I'm really this other good guy who will take you out for a drink and be your buddy. And so that makes it okay. And when those two things are so divided and not integrated in a person's mind, their ability to behave and really go to the max on their unacceptable behaviors is sort of is sort of set free i guess i'll say it's unexamined and 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 certainly that seems to be to have been the case and i think this just sets the table we can see how this sets the table for him to go on and do some of the now we'll go we'll, let's let's turn to some of those things we'll turn to his rise Can I just make one comment on what you said? You're the mental health expert, and I don't pretend to be able to um, psychoanalyze him as effectively as you do. But in most politicians, when there is that kind of split, the public persona is the good guy. And then we find out that there was something dark about them. What's unusual about McCarthy is it was flipped. The public persona was the dark guy, and the surprise is that he had a good guy in him. And that was part of what I was intrigued about finding out about 
when I was writing this book. I had heard from a woman who to me is um, part of a couple that were the most iconic liberals of my generation, a woman named Ethel Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy's widow, that Joe McCarthy, she said to me when I was interviewing her for my biography of Bobby Kennedy, she said, Joe McCarthy might have been a monster to much of America, but to us, he was just good, plain fun. And I thought, geez, that's a side of him that I didn't know existed. I'm not hearing it from some um, fellow traveling uh, conservative. I'm hearing it from this iconic liberal um, matriarch. And I want to see what that side was. I want to see if I can understand it and show that Joe McCarthy wasn't all of what we thought he was. Well, the ability for many people who split to frame their dark side as good is is not unusual. And so if you convince yourself that uh, the being with an intern is caring for them too. Um, if you, you know, if you, if you can convince yourself that what you're doing is really, and in the case of Joe McCartney, righteous and protective and, uh, you know, even if somewhere else, you know, it's for your own good, <laughs> you know, these things can become very compartmentalized. So um, it may become acceptable. It may become accept more than acceptable. It may be evidence to yourself that you are, are being as good as they get, you know, so to speak. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. He graduated law school. He opens a practice. Um, he joins a law firm. This is in the mid-1930s. He develops a bit of a reputation, right, for being quick and efficient. He developed that reputation as a lawyer, um, being willing to also do anything, keep his office open, um, his light burning much of the night. And he also develops a reputation, or I should say refines a reputation, because we already talked about that reputation, of being willing to do anything. And that included taking on his um, senior law partner, the guy who gave him his big break. Joe wanted to run for office, and so did this guy. So I should say, first, the first office Joe ever ran for was as district attorney. And he may have been one of the least qualified people to ever run for that office. A young lawyer, no real experience, but nothing was going to hold him back. And he runs for district attorney in an unusual way. Joe McCarthy, we think of in what we're given in the history books as one of the icons of the American right. But back then, he runs for office as a Democrat, as an avid, flaming New Dealer, as a big supporter of Franklin Roosevelt. And there was only one problem. In the part of Wisconsin where he was doing that, Democrats didn't get elected. And certainly, flaming New Dealers didn't get elected. And McCarthy very quickly understood, again, this motto that I will keep coming back to, whatever it takes. And what it took was sometime maybe in the middle of the night when nobody was looking, you go and you change your party registration from Democrat to Republican, and then you pick an office as your first office when you've made that change, a nonpartisan office that is a circuit court judge. And the fact that your um, sponsor and legal partner wants to have that same office and deserves it, who cares? You let him know at the last minute, just as you're announcing, and then you barrel over him. And this guy named Mike Eberlein, his law partner, depending on the story, over the years when McCarthy started getting more powerful, Eberlein started getting less candid about admitting how outraged he was that Joe McCarthy had dissed him. But you don't have to listen to what he said. You watch what he did. And suddenly, Joe McCarthy wasn't his buddy and his law partner. And McCarthy wins that office. He wins it partly by making an issue of the age of the incumbent, and he wins it by embellishing. 
The age of the incumbent was old enough that it could have become an issue, but he picks an older age. The income over time that the incumbent made sounds like a whole lot of money if you add up 10 years and you put it together and you say, was he worth not $5,000 a year, but was he worth $50,000? And he made it seem like this pillar of the legal community and of the general community was somehow out scamming the public and it worked. And he not only won office, but he converted that incumbent into what the incumbent's son called Joe McCarthy's first victim. Overnight, the incumbent went from being this long-serving judge to being this scammer of the public. And it wasn't true. And it was a sign of McCarthy's willingness to win office to do or say just about anything. To return for a second to McCarthy's moral compass, the use of alternative facts, the the birth of alternative facts, frankly, these were outright lies, not facts. And he, it's not something that had typically been done, but he took to that. And in addition to doing what he did to his law partner, um, let's just discuss the idea of no allegiance to one's ideology. Did Joe McCarthy have an ideology? So I want to be consistent as a biographer. And when I wrote a biography on Bobby Kennedy, I talked about it being growth, that he went from being a Joe McCarthy cold warrior at the beginning of his career to becoming an iconic liberal figure. And I would love to be able to say what Joe McCarthy was doing was growing in his move from being a liberal to being a conservative. I think what he was doing was showing that on that moral compass that you were talking about, I don't know if there is a dial point in that compass of amorality, but if there was, he was amoral. I think his moral compass was to get ahead, to see his ambition rewarded, to get a limelight. And he would have probably, if he were here as part of this conversation we're having now, said that he wanted that so that he could do important things and that it didn't matter whether he came from the right or the left. If he got enough power, he could change things. Uh, That doesn't wash. And the truth is that his change was because that was what it took to get elected. And you could have argued with Bobby Kennedy that, in fact, his electability would have been stronger had he stayed closer to a middle of the road instead of going out there on the political left where he felt more comfortable in later life. Joe McCarthy went wherever the ground was most solid in his electoral drive. And I want to just say one other thing. So we were talking about the word embellishment. The reason I didn't call that a lie is because I want to save lies for the really big ones he told, but it was a lie. And what McCarthy learned brilliantly, and I think it remains true to this day, is you don't get punished anymore for telling a big lie than you do a little lie. And so over time, he learned to tell whoppers. But in the early days, it was more a stretching than an ignoring of the facts. He goes on to... uh become a judge. And in that setting, he he gets this reputation for clearing the backlog quickly. He gets a reputation for granting divorces quickly, which is pretty fascinating for somebody from his religious background. I'll just say that that seems like a real departure there. And then he also goes on to enlist in the war, um, even though as a judge, he, he was technically exempt 
Uh, it seems as though he thinks this will be good for him reputationally to he sees that uh, being an enlisted man actually has been helpful to other people who are trying to launch political careers. And he he does do that. It And again, we see during his time um, in the South Pacific, we, we see this duality of on the one hand, he's claiming he goes on to claim he's things that he wasn't and he did things that he didn't because it because ha- he's creating this narrative of, you know, being, you know, being a private, uh, being at the lowest rung, working his way up, being in the most dangerous tail gunner position and so on. That's all important, even if it's untrue. But he also there seems to be a lot of guys, as you're pointing out, who say, well, no, he was really, you know, he served well. He he we he was part of our group as we watched each other's back and like I I want to be I'd want to be serving with Joe McCarthy. Yeah. So one of the things um, that I was lucky in getting when I was writing the book was um, for seventy years since McCarthy died, um, people have been trying to get access to his personal and professional papers. His widow left them to his alma mater, Marquette University. And they've been saying forever, because that's what the family's been saying, that nobody could see them. And not because I'm charming, but because I was lucky or a pain in the neck and they wanted to get rid of me, I got to see those papers. And one of the things in those papers was his handwritten wartime diaries. And Joe McCarthy, when he first ran for um, higher office, he ran calling himself Tailgunner Joe, saying that I was a war hero and I'm coming back now and I'm going to do for the country what I did for my country in the South Pacific. And over the years, journalists doubted that that was true. And they said the medals he got were for political reasons. Um, the television networks actually did an entire hour-long documentary called Tailgunner Joe, making fun of him. That became a caricature. What we see shockingly in those wartime diaries was that he documented every time he went up and flew as a tail gunner. His official assignment was as a land-based intelligence officer, but he raised his hand and he said, I'll go. And he volunteered for missions that could have gotten him killed. He volunteered for missions where he actually was a tail gunner. And his squad mates in later years wrote letters saying he did what he said he did. Now, that raises two interesting questions. One is, if you tell enough lies, nobody's going to believe you when you tell the truth. But in a way, the more interesting psychological question to me is, if he had these letters and if he had the diaries that showed that he was telling the truth, why didn't he hold them up and say, here is what I'm saying. They're making fun of me, but I can prove that it was true. And I think, wanting to give him the benefit of the doubt, that he actually decided that much as he was about as shameless a character as there was, that he decided some things were beyond the pale. And he took seriously enough what he had done in the Marines that if it required him to stoop to the level of having to show his handwritten diaries or point to his buddies saying he wasn't a liar, that would have been almost as embarrassing as being called a liar. And he wasn't going to do that. And He's not here to, for me to ask, and he never said in his personal papers, here's why I'm not pointing out that some of these actually show that I was telling the truth. But we go back after the fact and try to figure out what he was thinking, and I want to give him the benefit of that doubt. And I think that 
partly in writing a biography, anybody tries to take a historic and caricatured character and make them a little more true to life and flesh and blood. And as we see that there are many things in McCarthy's record that make him even more despicable than we thought, we have to acknowledge the things that make him more human and more authentic. Absolutely. He comes back. Actually, even before he comes back, he really starts campaigning for his his next seat, which actually is not allowed at the time. You're you're not permitted. I mean, that that's a breaking of the rules, right? That at the time you weren't supposed to, if you were in the military, do any political campaigning. But um, as the rules didn't mean much earlier, they didn't mean much later either. And he embarked on that. And in 1946, he defeated Howard McMurray in the general election, right? In the as as Democrat, and basically joined the Senate at that point. He beat one of the iconic characters in Wisconsin political history. So what the Kennedys are to my native Massachusetts and what the Tafts were in Ohio, a family called La Follette in Wisconsin were as much of political titans. And there was the senior La Follette um, fighting Bob La Follette and his son, young Bob, a three-term U.S. senator. La Follette was toppled by Joe McCarthy. La Follette was toppled by McCarthy because, again, McCarthy did what he always did, which was embellish where that was important. He also understood instinctively, McCarthy, if you had something in your political resume that made you vulnerable, Joe McCarthy was as astute as anybody in American political history at going to that weakness and playing on it. And La Follette was a little bit out of touch. He had spent enough time, three terms in Washington, and McCarthy made him seem like he was this tired old man which is in fact what he was. He was a very distinguished senator, but he was also old and he was also tired and he was also only came home to campaign after it was too late. And McCarthy, this young upstart, realized that if he could grab the right wing of the Republican Party, and they called them in Wisconsin stalwart Republicans, he could get them behind him. The stalwarts hated La Follette and McCarthy put himself into exactly the position to win he exploited every vulnerability of his opponent. He wins the nomination. Then he has an easier race to win um, against the Democrat. And he goes to Washington, and I hate to keep overusing this, as again, one of the least prepared people to be a U.S. senator has showed up in the Senate. And over his first couple of years, he showed that lack of preparation. This concludes episode one of my two-part series on Joe McCarthy. Thank you, and I hope you'll take a listen to the second half of McCarthy's life and rise in political power. Thanks to my guest, Larry Ty, And if you'd like to learn more about Joe McCarthy, check out his book, Demagogue, The Life and Long Shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy. You can comment or ask me questions on Twitter at Dr. Gail Saltz or at PersonologyMD. Personology is a production of iHeartRadio. The executive producers are Dr. Gail Saltz and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. The associate producer is Lowell Berlanti. Editing, music, and mixing by Lowell Berlanti. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, Yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.